Hi, my name is Annette Fletcher and I am a Return Peace Corps volunteer. We are actually creating a series where we are having Peace Corps volunteers share the impact. Peace Corps, no, I don't like the way that sounds. Hello, my name is Annette Fletcher and today we are sharing Allegra Tro, I should not try to say that. Hi, my name is Annette Fletcher and I am a Return Peace Corps volunteer. Peace Corps has three goals. The mission is to promote world peace and friendship by fulfilling three goals. Those three goals are, one, to help people of interested countries in meeting their need for trained men and women. Two, to promote a better understanding of Americans on the part of the people served. And three, to promote a better understanding of other people on the part of Americans. So this series is to help Americans better understand or to complete our third Peace Corps goal. So today we have Allegra, and she just tuned in. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fine. I'm like, attempting to do like a intro so that I can like kind of cut and paste, though I don't know how to actually do that. So yeah, I, I figured we'd share the three Peace Corps goals and then introduce yourself. But how do you pronunciate your last name? Troiano. Troiano. Troy. Troy. Like in King of Troy. Troiano. Troiano. Uh-huh. Okay. I will, I will try to, to do that. So, okay, so we're going to talk for about 10 to 30 minutes. Okay. And when you're finished, you can like let me know by saying thank you. Okay, sounds good. All right. Okay, so I'm gonna cut it up to like now. <laughs> okay, sorry. This, like I don't know how many times and I don't know why I keep stumbling over my words. Okay. Hi, my name is Annette Fletcher and I'm a Return Peace Corps volunteer. We're going to be sharing the mission and the goals of Peace Corps. The mission of Peace Corps is to promote world peace and friendship by fulfilling three goals. One, to help people of interested countries in meeting their need for trained men and women. Two, to promote a better understanding of Americans on the part of the people served. And three, which this series is all about, is promoting a better understanding of other people on the part of Americans. So today we have Allegra Traiano, and she is going to be joining us today, and she is going to be fulfilling her third goal by sharing a little bit of her experience today. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. So could you please introduce yourself? My name is Allegra Troiano, and I uh, was a Peace Corps volunteer in Senegal in 1980 to 1982. And then I was um, on staff in Costa Rica as the TEFL advisor for the Inter-America Pacific region from 2010 to 2013. I lived in Costa Rica and worked in eight countries. And then finally, in 2013, they moved me out to Vanuatu to be the um, director of program and management. 
That is awesome on so many levels because Vanuatu is one of the places that for whatever reason I've been trying to get to their culture is so rich. So you've already shared where you serve. What were your programs in Senegal? Um, I was a TEFL high school teacher. So okay. I taught, um, you know, first year English, CZM, which is first year, uh, Sankiem, second year, Katrim was uh, third year, and I had one year, one of my two years, I had some Twasium, which was your fourth year. So I had the whole gamut um, of high school, and it was quite, uh, it was quite interesting in 1980 because um, as you may imagine, um, going off to Africa was, you know, without all the social media, without the telephones, without anything, it was, okay, bye mom, bye dad, I'll see you in two years. And, you know, I wrote letters home uh, uh, on a weekly basis and numbered them. That was on, on aerograms and I wrote them so small that, that, um, just uh, two years ago when my mom died at 100, I found a folder of all my letters. Wow. And I, I can barely read it because it's so small. Because, <laughs> you know, you were trying to fit it all in one aerogram. So um, um, I am planning on, at, at some point, uh, transcribing this and then sending my letters off to the Library of Congress because I know they collect, you know, uh, um, this kind of, these kinds of things from RPCVs as part of their collection, but um, yeah, it was it was it was really an interesting experience. It basically did change my life in so many ways because um, I went in there going, oh, I was a French major, so that that's where, how I ended up in West Africa because I spoke French. I have lived in southern France and had fallen in love with um, uh, my the woman in my. Um, dorms right next to me. Uh, she was a princess from Chad studying um, studying at the University of Aix-en-Provence with me. And I was so um, enamored with uh, West African culture that I said, oh, I'm going to come and visit you. But in the meantime, Chad broke out in a war. Um, so, you know, this was, you know, this was 1976. I'm really going back. Um, so in 19, you know, 1979, I, I was like, oh, I really don't want to go to graduate school. That was the plan was to follow the family all in, you know, they were all business and, oh, I'll go do a degree in international business. And I, I really wasn't enjoying the whole idea, of, you know, like accounting and I, you know, I was good <laughs> in languages. So I saw a tear out for the Peace Corps and I said, oh, they're still around. Even back then people would be like, wow, they're still around. And so I filled it out, and the next thing I know, within a week, they call me, and they say, how would you like to go to West Africa? And I said, sure, you know, I have a map in my house, and they said, you know, you know, after going through all the interviews and stuff, they said, well, we're, we're hoping to send you to Senegal. And I said, oh, I looked at the map and said, yeah, it's on the coast, I like this. <laughs> and um, this was like February, and I got everything cleared and went in July. So funny enough, Annette, this is our 40th anniversary of our, uh, of our group. And we were supposed to have a reunion in Utah this September. Uh, there were 35 of us that we, we were going to get together uh, for a long weekend and have a reunion. And of course, that got you know, postponed until next year. But, right. um, like I said, it changed my, my life in so many ways because 
after the two years, I realized, wow, I really like teaching English as a second language. So I, I, I came back to the United States and got my master's degree in second language acquisition. And I spent 40 years of my life in the career. And, and you know, it was thanks to Peace Corps because before that I was sort of fumbling going, oh, I don't really want to teach French. I not, I love French, but not as a career. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it really did change my life. And, you know, I'm still in touch with a bunch of my students who are now grown adults with, you know, a, um, nearing adult children. And, you know, every once in a while, I get a WhatsApp from one of them saying, oh, let's <laughs> chat. You know? and so social media has really facilitated our ability to keep in touch with our uh, people in our village, or, you know, people all over the world, really. So, um that was the first part of Peace Corps. And then I was very active in my return group. So I'm in Milwaukee and I was, from the time I got back to Milwaukee in 1986, um, I, I, I heard that there was a return group. And so I, I got very active with them and then eventually became president of Milwaukee Peace Corps Association. And then after like two years, National Peace Corps Association pulled me onto their board and you know, one thing Peace Corps teaches you, and you realize just by doing this work, is you're always a volunteer. And I was raised, my family always um, raised us with the, the idea that volunteerism was really important in our lives. So like my dad would always constantly volunteer the family. We're doing this, we're doing that. So that was a really important part of that as well, because to, to be able to say, oh, yeah, I'll go on your board. Or, oh, it's not paid or, you know, it's not a big deal because that's what you do. Yes. Um, and then, well, oh, my daughter graduated from college in 2008 and my marriage was on the rocks. And I said, you know, it's time for me to, and all oh, my business. So I was actually teaching English second language in a couple companies in the area. And, you know, the economy was starting to, um, trend downwards, and I knew that there was possibly a likelihood that I wouldn't end up with no work. And, and so I applied to the State Department's English Language Fellows Program and ended up in Colombia. Nice. And that really changed my life in a new direction because, you know, I was always thinking, I'll go back to Africa. You know, I love, I love West Africa. And before I know it, I was in Bogota, spent a year there, and I was going to go back for my second year when one of my friends, she was a country director in Honduras, Trudy, um, had, had come over with George Baldino to Colombia to set up the program um, because they were just coming back into Colombia. And this was 2010, and they sort of latched on to me because they said, well, what do you, you know, help us out? because they knew that Peace Corps was really big for me. So mm -hmm. I helped them in lots of different ways and setting, you know, um, making connections for them. And next thing I know is I'm on this island off the coast. It's actually Colombian territory called San Andres. And I was there for a summer program working for the State Department in 2010. And Trudy gives me a call and says, you really want this job? And I'm like, what job? You know, I was planning going back to Colombia. She said, oh, it's... Um, it's the first ever TEFL advisor for Peace Corps um, in the Inter-American Pacific region and you speak Spanish. So, you know, they're going to really want you. And I'm like, okay, so I'm on this island and the internet's really bad and I'm trying to apply. And next thing I know, I have a series of interviews and I came back to the United States to be a mentor for the new English language fellows going off 
around the world, right, in August. And um, on the last day, I got this email saying, you know, oh, you, you know, Peace Corps is offering you this TEFL position, uh, advisor position. I said, oh, okay. Next thing I know, I'm going through all the clearances and they sent me back to Columbia as a consultant because they were starting their first um, training, the PST. And I'm in Columbia and then I come back to the United States for overseas training. And, you know, I, got, I cleared obviously. And then they sent me out to Costa Rica in um, October or November, uh, uh, November, 2010, 10 years ago. Wow. So it was, that was a, a really wonderful job because it gave me the opportunity to see TEFL programs in eight different countries and interacting with local staff and also um, helping them with their programs and also helping train volunteers. And to this day, um, I have many friends that were uh, Peace Corps volunteers going through training at the time that we just stayed in contact with seven of those volunteers and now it sounds like a small number but I'm really proud of them all um, because of my urging applied to the English language fellows program and went after their Peace Corps experience in this program and it that changed their lives in fact one of my volunteers who I trained in Micronesia is now in Kazakhstan married to a Kazakh woman and you know um, so you know there's all those little linkages that we are all connected. So, you know, besides, you know, the third goal of coming home and, and, and teaching the world about our countries, I think it's also really important to continue sharing either our resources or our knowledge of, um, you know, what, of our countries where we served, of the peoples with whom we work, languages, you know, whatever. I came really close to um, like my big failure, right? We all have failures. Was in 2005, I started up a nonprofit to eventually, um, my goal eventually was to open up, a, uh, to build a school in the southern region of Senegal where I served in the Casamas. And I worked with a group of Senegalese here in Milwaukee. And our big, first big project was we collected 230 bikes and computers and I was able to get a shipping container donated wow. and we loaded over the weekend, loaded all those bikes, processed some, all the computers, some sewing machines, other stuff, and sent it off to Senegal and it got there and it got stuck in customs and they started demanding all these bribes to get the money, you know, to, to, to pay for yeah. the customs to get it out of customs. And I just, I said to the, my Senegalese friends here that can't do it. I said, one, all of the work that I spent doing this in the last year was I was a volunteer. Number two, this was never a plan was to have to pay to get it out of customs. So I, I considered that my one big failure was not able, you know, not being able to facilitate that. Um, somebody got some nice bikes and, wow. um, but you know, I think it's really important to learn from that because even as I was training volunteers and they were doing grant writing for projects, it was often, you know, don't discount the fact that this might fail in one way or another. And, you know, failure is good if you can grasp what you gain from those lessons learned. And for me, the lessons learned were um, you can't always fight the forces out there that are, you know, going against you. So, yeah, so that's where where I've been, and and you know I had I I've had a great career. Be, thanks to Peace Corps, um, I've met the most amazing pe 
people thanks to Peace Corps. Um, I don't think I would have had such a great career in my life. I would have probably stuck it, been stuck in some corporate job somewhere. <laughs> probably been a lot richer than I am now. But uh, you know, it's not about money in the end, right? It's and yeah. and you know, at the end of the day, I I'm like, wow, I've lived in eight countries. I've worked in these countries, and I have friends from all around the world. And 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 it is because of my experience in Peace Corps. So. Um, is, that is awesome. It sounds like you developed the heart to serve while you were in Peace Corps. And most of the volunteers that I've encountered or that I've worked with have that heart of service. So most of the fields that they are in are still providing service. They're still a part of organizations like People to People where they're volunteering or being voluntold and openly openly ready to to provide those services and you're right it's not always about the money but about being able to provide support education knowledge and and resources which is something that i feel like most of us still do today which is why we have so many volunteers who i think signed up to share their stories well, I think it's really also um you know I, I loved your idea behind this you know first um, seeking out Peace Corps women because, um, you know, we've been a really vibrant part of this organization. Peace Corps never would have survived if it had only recruited um, men. Um, I think women add a different perspective to village life and also it opens a lot of people's eyes to potential um, and, and the possibility that they can get further in life with an education and do things for themselves. Like I, I remember the first time I went back to Senegal, it was seven years later, I was just dying to go. And I had, a, my daughter was, you know, pretty young at the time. And I convinced my husband to let me go. I said, I just have to go. It's, it was just this, you know, I'm, I'm just dying to go over and see everybody. And I was walking down one of the paths in the village and two, young adults came up to me and I didn't recognize them, you know, seven years later. And they said, don't you remember us? And I'm like, yeah, I had, you know, a hundred, hundred students. <laughs> and they told me their names. I was like, oh yeah, I remember you. They said, we went up to the university and studied English because of you. And I was, I, I, I literally, it brought me to tears. And, and this was, you have to think back to the eighties when, when English was not, I mean, you know, you're in a lingua franca, you're, you're in a French, uh, West African country where English, you know, I came back going, did I really, did I make any impact? Like mm. an English teacher in French West Africa, what kind of impact that is? Well, you know, 30 years later or 25 years later, when the internet explodes and English becomes that common language, it made sense. And now everybody's wanting to learn English, even, even countries like Rwanda that, that um, decided to make English their first, you know, their second language um, rather than French had a lot, you know, uh, really says a lot about the importance of the language today. I mean, had I, had I, you know, looking back 40 years ago, I would have said, oh, you know, it was a great, I gained the most from this experience. It wasn't, you know, as um, maybe important to their lives because most of the kids were not necessarily going on past high school, but the ones that did, and the ones that did become English teachers um, really saw um, a perspective of teaching language that wasn't um, 
necessarily created around the curriculum or the books that we are using. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I remember the, the one day, this is a funny story, uh, that Bob Marley died and all my boys came to my house and they said, can you just bring your, you know, I had a little um, cassette player with a couple of Bob Marley cassettes and they said, can you just, we're just so heartbroken. And I said, Bob Marley, oh yeah, let's, 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 I said, I can't let you guys go. You know, I mean, we have to have class. So in as basic of English as possible, I explained Bob Marley, what his life stood for. And then I said, if you guys are all really good, because 60 students in a class is pretty wild, right? Yeah. And I said, we will, we will, I will give you a little bit of a lecture about Bob, Bob Marley. We'll talk a little bit about, have some discussion, and then we'll dance. And that was, you know, that seven years later, one of the students said, you know, that was the best class we ever had, that we got to dance in the class. Well, they're all dancers anyway, but we got to dance to Bob Marley. You know, that it was something that, you know, they never thought would be possible, a possible way to learn a language, you know, through music or through song mm -hmm. and through drama. I did dramatization back then, and they just thought at first I was crazy. But crazy. I said, how, am I, how else am I going to connect with you than, you know yeah. pair work in the 80s none of that was methodology for teaching a language yeah but um yeah it was it was pretty much a rock and roll ride through through those two years because you know we didn't have the same amount of communication and um you know we did depend on each other you know the volunteer cohorts in our region but and friends and um you know we got together when we could but it was i think in some ways a lot harder but then in a lot of way in a lot of ways it, it it maybe exemplified what the Peace Corps service was about you weren't all connected to the rest of the world you know yeah. you had to focus on the village and the people in the village and you couldn't just up and take off I mean you could but uh, there was maybe less um uh Peace Corps had it was less likely that they were checking up on you, you know, today, uh, you know, with all the safety and security, security. Yeah. You can't just leave the village. Well, we were all moving around all the time and visiting people and, you know, doing things because, you know, because we could, and there wasn't an, as long as we were doing our jobs, nobody was going to come down on us and say, you can't do that. But right. where did you serve? I was in Namibia. Oh, good. This okay. is, this is, uh, this That's is my little, my little Peace Corps corner of resources and information. And, and what program were you in? In the PACE program. So PACE was Parent and Community Education. Okay. So you were talking about projects and initiatives that fail. The village that I served in was called Okumbahe. And in Okumbahe, there was a binder like this thick of initiatives that volunteers had tried or attempted that some failed, some worked, and it was like, but that is cool, because what worked for one volunteer may have worked for another volunteer because of the engagement, because of the level of language, because of how they engaged with their neighbors, or if they were staying with the family, like all of those things made a difference. So my, oh, so we don't want to get into my service, but in Namibia, um, I had the honor of actually living with another Peace Corps volunteer. Um, so John was at the secondary school and I was basically based at the preschool. So some of the projects that I tried, he was like, I tried that and I got nothing. And I was like, 
well, let's, you know, let's work on this one together. And he was like, cool, like, let's, let's do it. So the projects, you're, you're right. Like you can't sit and stew in something that failed or you may have to recreate it. That's what happened with a number of my projects. So we start a project because initially, you know, you're trying to do an assessment, but you have a bit of the language, but you don't know the language. At least I didn't know the language. So trying to figure out what was going to work and who was going to participate and who was going to be your counterpart in this initiative was like kind of layers of trying to figure things out. By the time you figure things out in that first year, you're like on and pumping. You're like, yes, this project is moving now. And then you're like, what do you mean it's time to go? No, 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 no. I got, I got, I got work to do. Like I got more stuff to, oh. Okay, and you're just hoping and praying that you and your counterpart like worked well enough together that those initiatives were able to be sustainable when you left. And we didn't have counterparts. I, there was an, another English teacher in my high school, but he was in the beginning, I think, so fearful of talking to me because he was so self-conscious about his English that I don't think he spoke five words to me the whole two years. Um, I had tried to reach out to him, but he, he really put up this wall. So I became good friends with the French teacher, with the math teacher, with the phi ed teacher. And I just thought, you know, he's losing out. This is his opportunity where he could have, we could have actually collaborated. But I think sometimes you just can't push something that isn't meant to be. And I know that I had good enough relationship with my school administration and the teachers and uh, other teachers that I just thought, you know, I, I, I can't battle this. I don't know if it's a gender thing. I don't know if it was because his, his English was weak and they often sent weaker teachers out to um, f the further regions. And my yeah. high school was the smallest high school in the country. So it was considered to be rather I, I want to say hickish or, you know, in the country, basically. Yeah. That's where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be in the city. Um, when they were picking sites, I told Sue Rosenthal, I don't know if her name's come up before, but um, she was our TEFL trainer. I said, I want to be as far away from Dakar as possible because I want to be in the most rural because that to me was what a volunteer, uh, uh, a volunteer um, position should be about rather than living you know a life in the city i mean i i'm a city girl but i really wanted <laughs> to have the rural experience and and it paid off i mean i i loved where i was and and i think that matter too is if you have a good um i didn't have to live with a family i lived on my own i did have a family and i went and ate um lunch with them every day sometimes dinner um i'd bake for them i i had um you know a little little stove and oven and when i'd get things that I could actually call together to bake, you know, they, they, they love my <laughs> chocolate brownies and, you know, and, and it was those kinds of experiences that even when I went back, I, I've gone back four times that wow. they would constantly talk about, oh, um, they, they would talk about, oh, you're, you're, we, uh, did you bring brownies this time? Or uh, a friend had come to visit and brought 10 pounds of popcorn between his, my mom unloading on him. And he, you know, that was really the only thing I really cared about. And, and, and um, so we'd have popcorn nights on Friday nights, you know, for this was my last year. And then we'd sit around the fire and have popcorn and tell stories. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff they remembered. I wrestled uh, um, with the girls in the village against the other villages. 
at the end of um, the harvest. And um, this was a real famous thing to do, um, but only in my region did they allow the girls to wrestle. And nowhere else in Senegal did any of the girls wrestle. And I said, my second year, I said, I want to do that. And they got me all dressed up and they kept saying, no, my name, my African name was Salimata Sane. They said, Salimata, you can't wrestle because you're too weak because, you know, you don't do any physical labor. And I, and I didn't do the big pounding, you know. And I said, yeah, I know, but, you know, I think I'm okay. What they didn't know was I had taken judo in college. So, you know, and I was, I, I was very much a, a tomboy and had grown up with two brothers. So we were constantly wrestling and stuff. So they didn't know I had the strength in me. And I was waiting on the sidelines for one of the girls from the other villages to pick me to wrestle with. And nobody would come up to the alumno, which is the white, the white girl. And I'm like, no, I can't just sit this one out. I, and I said, well, I said to the girls in my, in my school, I said, well, what do I do? They say, you go pick one. And no, because nobody would pick me. And I went and I, you know, I pointed to one girl and she was like, no, I pointed to another girl. And then Elizabeth, the first girl that agreed to wrestle with me, got, gets up and she's this, you know, working in the rice fields and she's just this Amazon woman. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to pull one of my, judo moves on her and sure enough within you know a matter of seconds I flipped her and the whole I mean there were villages of people there that were just like it all erupted in this and the king we had a king at the time and he beckoned me over and gave me a hundred seifa which was equivalent to about 11 cents back then you know and this was you know his way of showing his pride and all those four times that I went back the 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 guys in my village you know the the, the chef and, you know, that all they would say would be, you were the one that wrestled, you know? And even, <laughs> in fact, the last time I went back and I went to visit the, the man who rented the house to me, Etienne, he said, we need to go out to um, see Elizabeth. I mean, she's expecting you. I'm like, no, she doesn't even know I'm here. <laughs> but he said, no, no, she would want to know, want to see you. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, it was all that, that those little things, that made the peace score. It wasn't necessarily like, I remember going back and saying, you guys don't remember all the extra stuff I did as an English teacher and the English club I had and, and the games yeah. that I was playing. And they said, yeah, but it was the wrestling. It was the chocolate cake, the popcorn, the, the American the personable things. Communi the personable yeah. and um, kind of, uh, and what is it like the co the little communications, the, the thoughtfulness. The the micro community, yeah, the, the yes. micro actions that we did on a daily basis that we don't necessarily view as important, but in their minds, that was what made us special. Yes. But yes. Um, I'm sure you had many of those examples as well. But um, it, you know, it was an awesome. The serving for the Peace Corps was one of the best decisions that I've made. Um, I wish I would have taken more advantage of some of the opportunities, but I went to Japan after Peace Corps and did a completely different project. To teach English, right? Yes. <laughs> so if you could leave, um, I guess if there are people that are interested in becoming a Peace Corps volunteer, what would you say to them if they have an interest in becoming a volunteer? Well, I'd say um, be fat, flexible, adaptable, and tolerant. Okay, that was an acronym I got from the State Department. That wasn't something that 
Uh, I like but it. I think I like it. <laughs> really important. Um, sorry, that's my daughter. Um, um, I think it's real, those those three <laughs> those three skills, if you want to call them such, or traits: um, flexible, adaptable, and tolerant are really important in any overseas position that you might seek, whether it's with Peace Corps, whether it's going to Japan with JAL, whether it's this or that. You have to go into another culture and be open to um, vulnerability. And the other piece that I learned very early, which really has gotten me through all the work that I've ever done in any of those countries, was lower your expectations. And I think with those you know, with that in mind, you're going into a new country for the first time. You can't expect what, you know, your pre preconceived notions or, or people write blogs about what you're going to be expecting. Um, you have to get rid of all that, that noise and really make it your own, but also be open to change and be open and be willing to embrace the experience because it most likely will be the one experience in your life that changes you. You know, you may halfway through say, you know, this really isn't for me, but most people that finish Peace Corps come out of it saying, this experience changed my life in so many ways. You know, whether they go back and continue working with their, their country of service or whether they choose an area in their profession that takes them back to whether it's Africa or Asia or whatever, doesn't matter. But I think that ability to be flexible and adaptable and tolerant to whatever is going to come your way um, is going to really, uh, um, really get you a lot farther than going in there with blinders on or rose colored glasses as they yes, say. Yes, yes. So it's going to be hard. I mean, Vanuatu is a perfect experience. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, a perfect example. A lot of our volunteers came there thinking, oh, it's going to be absolutely wonderful being on South Pacific Island for two years because it's really beautiful. But the reality of getting to a village where your cell phone service doesn't necessarily work and you can't get a hold of your friends because you're lonely or because you can't, you know, it, it's tough. And when you're expected to eat the same three or four things every single day, sometimes three times a day, you know, um, it can be pretty tedious. Mm -hmm. um, and food is often a great source of comfort for people, but at the same time, activity. it can be a great source of, of frustration. Right. It, we, we had that too. Actually, that may be a topic because I had a volunteer who was a vegetarian in Africa and she yeah. lived with the family during her entire service. And that was a lot. But so thank you so much, Allegra, for sharing your service in Senegal, Costa Rica, and Vanuatu. It really does sound like you connected with all of your communities and that you do have the heart for service. I love what you said about fat. When you are interested in becoming a volunteer, it is imperative that you are fat, flexible, adaptable, and tolerant. I think that is very important and I will totally use that in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Um, can you turn off the recording and then? And yes.